Don't worry and be happy. That's what we're considering this morning. And we will look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through to 8. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Philippians, he had at various times been flogged, beaten with cords, uh, rods rather, beaten with rods, stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, imprisoned. In fact, he was a prisoner in Rome when he wrote this letter. Even so, he urged the Philippian Christians to rejoice in the Lord always and to be careful for nothing. We see that in verses 4 and 6. They were not to worry. Those words were not just for the Philippians all those years ago. They are for Christians today as well. Wherever they are and however miserable their circumstances might be. Don't worry. Rejoice in the Lord always. That comes from the Apostle Paul. Speaking as he was led by the Holy Spirit. But that really is a tall order, isn't it? Especially when some, if not all of you, have various anxieties and worries, such as the spread of the deadly coronavirus, which is affecting large numbers of people. And who knows? It may affect you or your loved ones. Maybe you already have health issues. And this is the last thing you needed, this coronavirus thing. Maybe you're worrying about how all the disruption that is caused by coronavirus will affect your job, your business, your finances, school, exams, and so many other things. There's going to be such a knock-on effect, isn't there, of this pandemic which is gripping our island and the whole world. Even so, there is no reason to think that the Apostle Paul was exaggerating. He meant every word of it when he said, be careful for nothing or don't worry about anything. In the same way that he meant it when he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Just look at it there in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing. The question is, how on earth can a person be anxious for nothing? Presumably, whilst rejoicing in the Lord always. It's a bit much, isn't it? Rejoicing in the Lord always. Well, first of all, Paul went on to say in verse 6, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. In other words, you are to cast all your anxieties, all your concerns upon the Lord, Or as David said in Psalm 55, verse 22, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never 
Permit the righteous to be moved. That's what we're to do. Cast our burdens upon the Lord. Therefore, you are to cast your burden on the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that a ship in a storm casts its burden on the anchor. I'm speaking to Christians, of course, when I say we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. That great love was manifested at the cross that the incarnate Son of God was nailed to when he was lifted up to die, bearing in his own body the sins of all who trust in him. If your sins were laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can be absolutely certain that nothing, there is nothing that you cast upon him in prayer that is too great for his power. Neither is there anything too small for his care and for the care of your loving Heavenly Father. Be anxious for nothing. Looking now at verse 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When you do what you are exhorted to do in verse 6, praying to God concerning your needs and casting your anxieties upon him with reverence and true devotion, then the peace that passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That happens when you cast your burdens upon Jesus. It is a peace that passes understanding in as much as it is not dependent upon the things that you do. That's what it means. This peace that passes understanding, all understanding, in verse 7. It is dependent upon God. It's not dependent upon something you do for yourself. It's not something that you generate within yourself, this peace. It's not a peace that comes through listening to nice, relaxing music, perhaps listening to whale music, or taking drugs, getting high on drugs, getting drunk on alcohol. Verse 7 is not talking about that kind of peace. It is the peace of God which passeth all understanding. And that is because it is a heavenly peace. That's what it means. It passes all understanding. It's because it comes from heaven. And it comes from none other than the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting it negatively, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, then this is not your experience, the peace that passes all understanding. 
It's not yours. The peace that passes understanding, all understanding, ought to be the experience of all who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, having trusted in him as their saviour from sin. Often that peace is illustrated as follows. You've probably all heard this one before. Imagine that there is thunder and the lightning is cutting across the sky. The waves in the sea are crashing into the cliff. You might well ask, where is the peace in that? You would have to look hard to see it, but there it is, about halfway up the cliff. There is a bird's nest tucked into a tiny hollow in the rock. A mother bird is sitting on her nest with her little chicks tucked underneath her, sleeping safely and soundly. That is perfect peace in the thick of a storm. I like that illustration. I like it because it points us to Jesus and to his protective care of all who take refuge under the shadow of his wings in the midst of the storm. Storms like we have now, the coronavirus pandemic. Mind you, it's not a perfect illustration. For example, it's not beyond the realms of possibility for an eagle to swoop down and to put an end to that cosy little relationship in the nest halfway up the cliff, is it? Whereas when it comes to the church, neither the devil nor anything else is able to swoop down and take the Christian away from God. You can be absolutely sure of that. For example, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus was speaking about Christians. No man is able to pluck Christians out of the hand of Jesus. And then he went on to say, My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Safe in the hand of Jesus, safe in the hand of his Father, now and forevermore. Amen? And the Apostle Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. How wonderful those words are. Even so, the very fact that Paul said, be careful for nothing, means that Christians do at times worry. Otherwise, why else would he say that? Also, In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 26, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Of course we are. I wonder what those birds would say to one another if they observed the way that Christians worry instead of prayerfully looking to God to uphold them and to minister to them. There's a little poem about birds that goes like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. If even though you are a Christian, you are nevertheless overwhelmed with cares and anxieties, then perhaps you can see why the birds of the air, and anyone else for that matter, might just think that you have no heavenly father. In verse 8, we can see the antidote to being anxious or being worried. Let's have a look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, Think on these things. Do you know I love that verse? Can anyone tell me why I love that verse so much? I need to learn it. This is a verse that I really need to learn. I'll tell you why I love that verse so much. Because it is a description of Jesus. Have a look at it again. I'll give you a few seconds. Just read it for yourself. It's all about Jesus. This is the antidote to being worried, panicking, being anxious, concerned about things. I don't know if you've noticed, but I keep bringing it back to Jesus, don't I? What concerns me is that there are some of you who hear about Jesus, you hear about the gospel of Christ from me week after week. And still you stubbornly continue in your rebellion against God when you know full well that you ought to be crying out to God for mercy. You sit there with blank expressions, some of you. And the gospel of Christ, it bounces off you or it goes in one ear and straight out the other. How reckless and how sinfully foolish that is, especially when everything around you points to the creative work of Almighty God. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Just look at each other in here. God made you fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb by God. Only a fool would deny that. 
even the calamities such as we are experiencing now with coronavirus speak of a holy and righteous God. Who in Noah's time saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Consequently, God flooded the earth and only eight people survived. Out of the world's population, eight people survived or were spared in the judgment of God. Also, the Bible tells us that the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire and overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities because of their wickedness. As for nowadays, nothing has changed. The whole world is still thoroughly evil. For example... It is estimated that China, where coronavirus started, aborts about 23 million babies every year. Can you get your head round that? 23 million babies in China alone are killed. And in the UK... At least one in three women will have had an abortion by the age of 45. One in three women, if you didn't, if you think you didn't hear me properly, by the age of 45. And about one in four unborn babies is murdered. That also means that there are a lot of men, a lot of men in our nation with innocent blood on their hands as well. Men and women with the blood of babies on their hands. Looking at nations, not individuals, but nations, listen to this now. On the 31st of January 2000, a UK general practitioner by the name of Dr. Harold Shipman was found guilty of the murder of 15 patients under his care, with his total number of victims estimated to be around 250. Perhaps you remember that, for those of you who are old enough, 20 years ago. Doesn't seem that long. Harold Chipman. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a recommendation that he never be released. In contrast... Here on the Isle of Man, in 2017, another general practitioner by the name of Dr Alex Allinson introduced the Abortion Reform Bill and as a consequence of that particularly nasty piece of legislation being enacted, our nation now offers abortion on demand up to 14 weeks and up to full term for various reasons. Dr. Allenson hails his Abortion Reform Act of 2019 as being a really good bit of legislation. The best law in the British Isles because we have completely decriminalised abortion. Far from being imprisoned with a recommendation that he never be released, Dr. Allenson now serves our nation as the Minister 
for education. Let's not forget other flagrant violations of God's holy laws by our nation and by so many other nations, such as the enthusiastic acceptance of homosexuality. This is something that Almighty God declares to be an abomination or detestable. Yet it is vaunted at gay pride parades in many countries. One positive thing to come out of the coronavirus pandemic is that this year's Isle of Pride parade here on our island has been cancelled. Praise God. In in the year 2000, the Netherlands was the first nation to legislate for same-sex marriage. Since then, 30 or more nations, including our own, have followed suit. It's not for nothing that the psalmist said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is what's happening in the world. We've got a world which is throwing away God's laws, turning its back on God, nation after nation is turning its back on God. Does that mean that the coronavirus is God's judgment upon the wicked nations of the world? What I will say is that Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, is sovereign over all things. Everything. Not just nearly everything, but everything. If he wasn't, he wouldn't be Almighty God. As King David said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. As such, God is in full control of everything that happens. So much so that in Amos chapter 3 and verse 6 it is written, Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord have not done it? I'll read that again. Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord have not done it? Well, what do you think the answer to that is? Remember that God is almighty. Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord have not done it? Of that verse, the Bible commentator John Gill said, This may be interpreted of the evil affliction or judgment, which, wherever it comes, is by the order and appointment of God, and is inflicted by him. Thus evil, as well as good, comes out of the mouth and hand of the Most High, and he creates the evil of adversity, as well as makes peace and prosperity. Surely the greatest example 
of there having been evil in a city and the Lord having done it is about 2,000 years ago when wicked men took hold of the incarnate Son of God, nailed him to a cross, a wooden cross, lifted him up to die. The Son of God, suspended between heaven and earth on a piece of wood. But we're told in the scriptures that it was done by the predeterminate counsel of God and with his foreknowledge. We are told in the scriptures that the Lord have laid on him, his son, the iniquity of us all. That is, those who trust in Jesus. God has laid upon Jesus the iniqui- your iniquity, your wickedness, your depravity, So what I'm saying there is that what happened at the cross was ordained by God. It's something that was worked out before the creation of the of every, anything, before the foundation of the world. It is enshrined in Old Testament prophecy. Old Testament prophecy that says very clearly he was Wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. That was written 700 years before Jesus came into the world. And it was fulfilled at the cross. According to God's decree. So again, shall there be evil in a city and the Lord have not done it? If you want to know the answer to that, just look to the cross. And thank God for it. Thank God that he is in control. Thank God that he sent his son into the world and that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, was obedient unto the death of the cross. And that with his stripes you are healed it's not just the nations that are in rebellion against God it's not just our nation that's waving its fist towards heaven and every other nation for that matter the Bible makes it very clear that all have sinned and come short Of the glory of God. That includes each one of you personally. This is where it gets personal. And this is where you really need to sit up and listen. We're not going to be meeting again for a while. You need to take this on board. If you haven't done so. Forget the nations now. It's about you. You're standing before God. You personally. If you're not convinced that you are a hell-deserving sinner, then answer just a few questions. I'm going to take these from the commandments of God. Commandments which um, place upon us a duty to love our neighbour as ourselves. To love God more than anything else. Okay. Have you ever said anything 
about somebody that wasn't true. Or perhaps it was an exaggeration. You put a bit of a spin on something concerning someone else. Ever in your whole life. And if you say no, then you've proved my point. You're a liar. You're a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Anything at all? Whether you've had your fingers in the cookie jar as a little kid. Whether you've nicked a bar of chocolate out of the cupboard at home. Whether you've been on the phone or using social media at work instead of getting on with your work. That's stealing as well. You're stealing your boss's time for one thing. You're getting paid for for making private phone calls or whatever it is you're doing. If the answer's yes there, which I suspect it probably is, then you're a lying thief. And so it goes on. Have you ever looked lustfully at anybody, anyone, ever? You're an adulterer, an adulterous lying thief. Have you ever entertained angry thoughts about someone? Someone's made you really mad. They've annoyed you. Not, and you, you're, when it comes down to it, it's not a righteous anger you've got. You're angry because things haven't worked out the way you want it to. Because it's all about me. And someone has mucked it up for you and you're angry with them. And you don't really want to talk to them for now. You want to punish them. Jesus says that that's murder. You haven't stuck the knife in literally. But the act's been committed in your heart. Jesus said, from the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, idolatries, fornication theft, blasphemies and so on it all comes from the heart and when you start to analyse these things we are all guilty as charged we are and you need to you need to appreciate that we have to stand before a holy God all of us do and that's what the cross was about Jesus bearing the burden of sin for all who have recognised what? Certainly they haven't thought, well, I'm a really good person. A a born-again Christian is someone who recognises what a wretch he is. That's a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then you're deluded. You're deluded, you're proud, you're arrogant. And boy, one day... You're going to know it when you stand before God. As we finish, if you are not yet trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, then I guess that you can respond in, what, one of two ways perhaps. You can wave your fist towards heaven, you can curse almighty God, and you can die in your sins, whenever that might be. Or, with a broken and contrite heart, you can shrink before the throne of God's grace and you can pray for forgiveness. Pleading nothing other than the blood of Jesus. If it takes a pandemic for people to turn to God as repentant sinners, then so 
be it. And to God be the glory, great things he have done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Amen.